February 18th, 2022, and I have a very special show for you this week because next week I'm on vacation. My husband and I are heading out to California on Sunday morning. We're taking a direct flight to San Francisco. And then as a Christmas present to him, it's something I think every man wants, I booked a trip to Yosemite National Park in in the middle of winter because I thought that would be fun. And then on the way, we would stop. We are going to stop because I made a reservation and got tickets to see the play Our Town by Thornton Wilder in Walnut Creek, a suburb of San Francisco. So it should be a very exciting trip. San Francisco, Yosemite. Uh, so we won't be on the air next week. But this week's show, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Dave Chappelle and what happened in Ohio and what that has to do with Maine. Uh touch on the governor's race and the division between Democrats heading into the next election. Last week, I enjoyed speaking very much with my former colleague, Gary Connor, who lives in Kennebunk with his wife, Kendra, and eight children. Gary and I served in the legislature. He is trained as a nurse, but has been a businessman for a very long time, successful in medical research and clinical trials and that sort of stuff, but also very active in the community when it comes to sports and education. His wife served on uh, the school board as the chair, and Gary talked about the recall effort taking place down in Kennebunk. It's made the news around here. And what was interesting, uh, I think, is uh, the, the social issues that came up in the conversation with Gary around whether or not the recall effort was in any way racist or somehow sliced and diced along race, gender, um, these boxes that people are, are hooked on these days. And Gary's point was like, no, I mean, the people who are supporting the recall of these people believe that they are failing to do their job and the opportunity that their town charter provides allows the process is if someone's not doing their job, you can hold them accountable by collecting the requisite number of signatures and having a having a recall. So the recall itself was interesting, but even more interesting was Gary's point that these elected officials actually voted to not to somehow negate the recall. So it's really embroiled the town and and it's not along the typical party lines, which is the neat way that uh, people are used to having issues divided. You know, is it a democratically supported issue? Is it red, ver- you know, blue, uh, liberal versus conservative? Um, the issues around education, I think, since COVID have really divided people uh, in different ways. And a lot of Democrats are fed up with the unions. Uh, and just, you know, you look out to San Francisco, which obviously is a very liberal state and San Francisco, a little liberal city rather, and um, they just recalled school board members because uh, they weren't doing their jobs. They, they spent the year renaming schools uh, and the kids were out of school. And these are Democrats recalling Democrats. And um, I think we're seeing, you know, a lot of attention focused on the division between Republicans because obviously the incident on January 6th highlighted like starkly the choices that Republicans have going forward. There's essentially Team Mitch, Team Mitch McConnell, you know, the reality Republicans who accept 
that they, you know, lost the White House and that there was, in fact, an attempt at an insurrection on January 6th. I mean, most recently, Mitch McConnell was quoted as saying around about January 6th, quote, we saw it happen. It was a violent insurrection for the purpose of trying to prevent the peaceful transfer of power after a legitimately certified election from one administration to the next. That's what it was. That's a quote attributed to Mitch McConnell, which is obviously very different than the rhetoric, the inflammatory rhetoric, I think, of Donald Trump and his camp on the Republican side. So you've got the Trumpers who are claiming the election was stolen. January 6th was a peaceful protest. And then you have Mitch McConnell and, of course, you know, Susan Collins and all of the Republicans who not only voted to impeach Trump, but who have, you know, just stood up against him. In the Democratic Party, there's definitely divisions. I mean, ever since, uh, well, I mean, ever since the beginning of time, I'm sure there has been fierce divisions in the Democratic Party. But uh, clearly, uh, going into the next election, the the progressive agenda, the so-called woke agenda, that is really been written about a lot is, is what's dividing people. And I think uh, what happened with Dave Chappelle is an interesting kind of way, an interesting filter to think about some of these issues. Um, For people who may not be familiar with Dave Chappelle, he is a comedian, uh, like unbelievably successful, internationally acclaimed comedian, actor, celebrity, who has made several appearances on Saturday Night Live, had his own show, um, has recently been somewhat controversial because of his jokes about transgendered people on a Netflix series, uh, the most, um, I guess, controversial one was called The Closer. I thought it was hysterical. I really liked it. I like Dave Chappelle a lot. Uh, he, he grew up in, um, kind of a, you know, mixed, he grew up mostly in Maryland and Washington DC areas from what I've read, but his father, when his parents divorced, moved out to Ohio, his educated parents. And he um, spent a lot of time in Ohio. So he now has taken this town of Yellow Springs, Ohio, under his wing. He's described himself on the record in that town as being a benefactor. And this town of Yellow Springs, Ohio, is is small. It's like 3,700 people. But he's put it on the map because he's invested millions of dollars. He's He has apparently a, a restaurant and other things in the works. But what he's done so far is create these venues for these shows and during COVID put on shows and they're going to be the subject of a documentary. And it's really kind of turned the, you know, turned the town on. I mean, it's the town is on the map because of Dave Chappelle and next door to his property recently, a uh, developer sought to change the zoning from a residence zone to this planned unit development that would enable the construction of like 145, you know, roughly, I think it was 143 to be exact, single family homes. Um, And right from, as soon as the developer sought this zoning change to create this, what Dave Chappelle thinks is sprawl, cookie cutter, bad housing, he voiced his objection because it's not the vision that he or a lot of people in that town have for the town. It's not a question of who would live there? It's that the housing itself is is just not appropriate. This big, huge development in an area that they were trying to, you know, nurture and and uh, grow in different ways. So he early on opposed the project, and he said 
that, quote, we should use more of a visionary eye instead of a reactionary one because the potential of this place is immense. And he said, you know, this real estate development isn't the only solution. So no one wrote about that at the time. But then a month or so later, when a very small portion of this real estate, the whole parcel that was sought to be developed was about 52 acres. So after the initial proposal, there was a, an amendment sought to make just like less than two acres of it affordable housing in the future. So Dave Chappelle just repeated his objections to the housing project at large, that it's just a bad project. But the headlines, all the news was, maybe you saw some of the headlines, was that the one I saw and that I can quote is, Dave Chappelle helps shut down Ohio affordable housing development. I'm not bluffing. And what's interesting about it to me is that he is, uh, Dave Chappelle is not some, you know, conservative right wing. He's also not some left wing, you know, <laughs> extremist either. He He's a black man who has achieved the American dream and he has a position on housing, and his position is that the housing that was being proposed was was not visionary. That his vision for the future was brighter. You know that that he had he saw more potential, and wanted to strive for for much better than what was being offered. And he was basically making the argument that why are we settling for this when we why are we changing our laws to accommodate this cheap project? Like what you know what's the point? Well. The reason why that resonates with me is because, as many of you know, um, there's a division, I think, within the Democratic Party that uh, that is equally as fierce. Maybe, you know, it, there hasn't been any attempted coup yet on the Democratic side, which is good, but the division is is fierce, and it's, and it's, a, it's a battle. And I'm on the side of, you know, surprise, surprise. Um, I guess what's considered now more moderate Democrats. I mean, I used to consider myself a progressive when progressive actually meant progress. But the positions now of some of the progressives are so uh, backwards and so, I don't know, just like, for instance, the housing project that was proposed in my town. I mean, anyone who can do basic math and has the, you know, principles of, you know, opportunity in the American dream would not support the project. It's just simply a very, very, very bad, bad situation. And yet people who are opposed to it are accused of being racist. And I guess what really concerned me is, um, so I've been very uh, active in, on this issue in Cape Elizabeth in terms of housing, okay? And affordable housing now is clickbait. It's it's a term that I'm sure all the SEO search engines look for, and everybody who wants to do housing now calls it affordable housing. It's like the word green, you know. It's it's essentially has no meaning now because every project that goes up is described as affordable housing, and and what they mean is that like we've gotten so much government subsidy that we can basically offer these really crappy apartments, one bedroom, no garage, um, for for low rent, uh, but it's not affordable because it's so expensive to all the other taxpayers. I mean, if if the problem is that so-called, you know, cost burden associated with living in these towns, it doesn't make any sense to spend 
$13.5 million creating like 20 one-bedroom apartments for very low-income people in the middle of a town where there's no services, no jobs, no, you know, et cetera. So um, the, the division between Democrats is people who have a vision for the future of Americans, that, that they believe the role of government is to, to ensure that there's a level playing field and to provide opportunities for social mobility. So, so people like myself believe that assistance in the form of, of housing assistance should be for, you know, for families to get into the housing market, to have secure, safe housing, but also to in, invest in their housing. That's how Americans make money. And if Democrats don't understand that, if they don't understand that we have a capitalist system <laughs> that greatly benefits homeowners, whether it's taxes, I mean, you name it, if you own a home in the right place, it can be long-term economic security for you and your family. And I think all the studies show that. So there are Democrats who have a vision that the Dem- that the role of government is to provide opportunity. There's other Democrats who I think are now the so-called progressives, the extremists, who think it's government's job just to enable people to be poor, to make it easier to be poor, to just accept at face value that you know everybody is just dying to live in a low-income housing apartment. So it's going to be really interesting going into the Maine, now I'm pivoting a little bit, to Maine's gubernatorial race. As hopefully everybody knows, Janet Mills is the incumbent, and she's running for re-election on a very strong record, I think. Janet, she's a very strong candidate going into re-election. Um, people I talk to always, other than the, the trolls online, I think Janet is a very strong candidate. However, she has a very strong opponent in Paula Page. And I know them both personally, uh, you know, not f- in any friend or social sense. And I haven't actually seen them since before COVID. So I can't, but I do have personal experiences with both of them and know that they're both very sharp, very funny, and very uh, strong, strong willed and, and fight, you know, feisty. So left to their own devices, it could be one of the best elections if we were just left if we left them to have debates and to let them be themselves it it could be a very fun election i'm predicting now that janet mills wins but we still don't know if any third party candidate is going to come onto the scene and they're never going to win but they always just make uh, they really um i think take a lot of the wind out of debates and just make things less interesting because uh, you have to listen to their points of view and often, you know, but so hopefully it will be just a a good race. But what I'm also looking forward to seeing is what uh, color Paul LePage paints himself in the race. And what I mean by that is that he attached himself to Donald Trump when Donald Trump was very popular. Obviously, he won the presidential election. He was the president. Uh, Paula Page, I think, is known for saying that he was Donald Trump before, you know, Donald Trump was Donald Trump or something like that. And Donald Trump, of course, won in Maine's second congressional district, which is a, a big accomplishment. He's very popular. I know in the northern part of Maine, to this day, you drive around and you still see not only the MAGA hats and, and signs, but you see you know, signs for the upcoming election. So Trump is popular, but Susan Collins also is very popular. And they represent either side of the Republican divide, Susan Collins being one of the moderate Republicans who voted 
to impeach, or he, she didn't vote to impeach, she voted to convict Donald Trump in the Senate after the House impeached him. The, the con- he was acquitted because, you know, they didn't get the requisite votes, but she's clearly the moderate. She was thought to, you know, be at risk in her last election, but came through strong, uh, and despite, you know, all of the polling suggesting that her Democratic opponent, Sarah Gideon, was going to win. Susan Collins won. So Susan Collins is a very, very strong Republican. Um, she, she's not, she doesn't face another election for, you know, almost six years. Uh, she's, she's got powerful positions down in Washington and Paula Page and her have somewhat of a checkered past. So we'll see. I have a feeling they're going to coalesce and put on a very strong campaign, but I'm curious to see what the relationship is between Paula Page and Donald Trump. And of course, whether Donald Trump will come and stump for Paula Page, which I, I'm pretty certain he would. My prediction is that we're going to see Donald Trump in Maine, which, uh, you know, that could be, that could be interesting. And I'll just end the podcast on um, a, a, a note, you know, since I've gotten back into politics, this housing issue has drawn me in because I'm personally engaged in it. It was happening right in my, you know, literally my front yard and my pocketbook. And, and then now I've been dragged through the mud and called racist because I opposed this housing project in town that is absolutely ridiculous. Um, but what's interesting to me is that, so the Speaker of the main House, who is, who his claim to fame is, is you know, he's, he's done a lot of good things in his life, but one of the things he brags about is sponsoring this low-income tax credit, and he's largely responsible for Maine's low-income tax credit, which is what prompted and incented so many of these developers to just put up these low-income housing projects all over the place because that's the that was the game, and that's the best game. Like, that's the way to maximize the dollars. And people who don't accept that, like, they're just not in touch with reality. Like, if you don't believe that, Cape Elizabeth had a low-income housing project proposed because of the low-income tax credit, then you, you, you're not in touch with reality. But what's interesting to me is that um, the Speaker of the House and, and others in Augusta have specifically called out Cape Elizabeth because of what's happening in this town around affordable housing. And we have been the subject of like national press, international, I think, and I spoke to my local representative, and um, she said she hasn't taken a position on the issue, which I just, it, it floors me. And I, <laughs> um, I, so on the other hand, I had a coffee with my local town counselor who's, who's very, very engaged. So I think uh, it, it saddened me a little bit that the, that the representative in Augusta, where all this uh, narrative is being circulated uh, falsely about what's happening in Cape Elizabeth, um, I guess didn't know more about it or hasn't educated themselves on the issue. But um, I think it, it, it just, it, it speaks to the, um, the environment we're in where there's all these talking points that are generated by partisans and the news media latches on to these clickbait words like affordable housing and these tropes are rolled out about coastal elites and instead of like scratching the surface and actually getting at the numbers, instead of doing to the affordable housing issue what these progressives say that we should do about uh, health care, that we should do about climate change, uh, that we should do about COVID, which is, you know, look at the science, look at the numbers. 
they sort of buy into this real estate developer association <laughs> mantra that that, that like that would, oh we have to rush 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 and build gigantic ugly buildings that are so expensive so a um, little bit of a bummer but uh, I have faith that um, our elected officials will get it right in the meantime we're going to work in Cape Elizabeth on plan B and I'm going to keep doing this podcast. I hope you subscribe. Please subscribe to the podcast. You can find this podcast on all your favorite broadcasting, podcasting uh, applications, Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, and that's it for this week. I will be away next week, but I'll see you in a couple weeks. And until next time, this is Cynthia Dill signing off. Take care.